every day when my mom would drop me off at school as a young kid, uh, I'm walking out the car door towards the schoolyard. She would always yell out the window, do great things. And I would always, you know, shrug it and say, oh, mom, like walk into school. You're making me embarrassed. But sometimes I think back on that. And that is such a uh, guiding light for me that I always hear that voice, do great things. This is the Seasonals Podcast, a show where we talk to people living the seasonal lifestyle. We take an in-depth look at the decision points they've encountered along the way. today with Grayson Gemmel. I met Grayson on Catalina Island on my way up here this summer. He's been in Ketchikan this whole season. He's a wonderful, beautiful man. I'm excited to talk to him today. Thank you for hosting me, Joey, here in Mary Maley's wonderful apartment. Right. You are a very sweet and sultry man. Thank you. And we've got a little peach over here, beautiful Iditarod racing dog sleeping on the couch. So you're in Ketchikan now. You were in Catalina Island last season. Tell me about the path you've taken from start your seasonal lifestyle to here. Well, uh, my road to seasonal work in Alaska actually began uh, about two years ago. I was working on Catalina, and a very good friend of mine and I decided we wanted to go to Sulawesi and drop a hat point on a map, what's the largest island in the middle of the Indonesian area that you have no idea about? And so we started researching it and just fell in love with the idea of exploring a new place that we hadn't heard of and hopefully other people hadn't either. And that was Sulawesi, um, which is one of the largest islands in the world and the largest island in Indonesia. And so we bought flights, we planned the whole trip. And the date was approaching where we were going to go and getting really excited about it. And about a month or so before our flight, I got this email from my sister uh, who forwarded it on from a friend of a friend. It was like an email chain. And it was from this company It was that was looking to put together a crack team of individuals who could go out into the middle of the Yukon and build a fish landing from scratch and wanted to know if, if I was interested. And so I gave it a cursory glance uh, and I decided I wasn't going to do it. And so I passed. I didn't even respond to her. Kind of rude of me. And continued on planning on going to Sulawesi. And about two weeks before going, my sister called me up, and she just leveled with me. She said, hey, this is an, op- an opportunity. This is something you need to check out. So I went back to that email, and I started looking at the phone numbers and the emails and considering, like, hemming and hawing, is this something I want? Is this a road I want to go down? Do I want to break my plans with, like, my, my best friend? And you've already spent 
thousand dollars on the ticket. Oh, at least thousand dollars on the flights. I mean, we're well invested in this flight and in this adventure. And so I came over to Carl and I just leveled him and said, "Hey, I made a commitment to you that we were going to Sulawesi, and I am, I want to, you know, be there, and I want to do this adventure with you, and." There's this other thing. So what if we try and switch? What if we both go to Alaska? What if we both just try applying to this? See what happens. And to Carl's credit, without like a moment of hesitation, he said, oh, hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good Carl impression. Yeah. I mean, literally hours later, we're sitting by a shop in the back of our camp in Catalina and we're on speakerphone with this guy up in Oregon, this financial, you know, desk guy who wants to set up this fish company. And he asks us, you know, what kind of experience we have. Do we have experience in refrigeration repair and r- running electrical and operating heavy machinery? And we are giving him honest answers which is no we have no experience (laughs) we have nothing we are ready to work hard for you and we'll be there and so he kind of goes real quiet (laughs) he he just tells us you know what just call me back at 10 o'clock tonight and i'll give you an answer and so we you could hear the desperation in his voice you could hear the defeat and his, he, you could tell right from the, that moment that he didn't want to hire us, but he might have to. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, 10 o'clock comes around and we call him back and he answers the phone and you can hear he's in a bathtub. He's sitting in a bath. <laughs> oh, God. He's taking a hot bath. He's probably stressed out of his mind. And he tells us, yeah, all right, guys, after a long pause, a long, like, "Ah, sigh, yeah, you got the job. And so just like that, change, of course. We ate the cost of our flights for the most part. A thousand bucks each. Boom, gone. Gone. But they were willing to pay us enough where we could just eat that cost. How much were they willing to pay you? About 10000 each. For how much work? For about two months. Okay. So we decided, fuck it. Like, we are going, in either case, to go to a new place we've never been before. And either we can get paid to go there and live there and do this wild adventure, or we can pay to do this wild adventure. So it, it was a no-brainer. <laughs> right. We canceled the flights as best we can. And two days later, two days later, I, Carl was flying up to St. Mary's, Alaska, which pretty much no one that I've run into here in Ketchikan knows where that's at. I don't. <laughs> so it's this little hub village, 80 miles up the mouth of the Yukon on the Adrovsky River. Gorgeous, cold water. It's a tent village of about 270 Yupik uh, peoples. And... We showed up, the total aliens out there. You get flown in into this tiny little landing strip. Everything comes in either on barge or on airplane. 
and uh, we move into our new home, which is this city building, which was a former arcade, which is a weird thing to have out in the middle of the tundra. <laughs> so we had all the Pac-Man we could want and all the Donkey Kong. Those were the only two that worked. All the rest of them were broken. Oh, my God. So it's this post-apocalyptic arcade room that you've been flown to in the interior of Alaska. Literally 200 feet from the river, and it's along a city landing. And so we get there and, and finally meet our new boss, Kip, and meet the rest of the crew. And, I mean, it's pretty clear right away that we are totally inexperienced, and we are in a gang of people who are totally inexperienced. <laughs> there is some mechanic guy. There is some 20-year-old kid who's going to be driving the you know, 12-ton excavator within 10 inches of our heads. And So this is not a crack team. This is a team on crack. <laughs> 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 but show up, and it turns out that all of the equipment that we were told was going to get there, all of the brailers for loading and unloading fish, all of the uh, heavy equipment to be able to move those brailers, all of the refrigeration that equipment that we we're going to need, none of it, absolutely none of it was there, and none of it was even coming. And so within a few days of us getting there, we're kind of hearing the news that we might not even be working there this summer, that they might put us on an airplane in four days and fly us back. And so those next four days, we sat there running numbers, trying to figure out how much it would cost, calling up everyone in Alaska to figure out how we could get equipment onto barges or onto trucks or into military aircraft and fly it out to St. Mary's. And after four days of frantic calling, we decided to do it. And to my boss's credit, like, he took a crazy risk. We were spending exorbitant amounts of money to make this happen. I'm just, every step of the way, I'm thinking about you in this situation, and then I'm having a flash of these two seats on a plane to paradise, empty. Seatbelts undone. <laughs> People around looking at the seat wondering, are they, are they going to get on this plane? And then just staying empty. And then the plane gets to Sulawesi, and there's people there with lays, coconut drinks, waiting for you to get off the plane, and they realize you never got on the plane. And then it flashes back to this story. <laughs> so so your boss did it. He's spending tons of money. Yeah, and for the next four weeks, you know, for the next solid month, we spent a month there making all of these logistical nightmares work out. How do you buy refrigerated containers and get them from this broken down junkyard in Anchorage and get them onto a truck that's going to then get them onto a barge that's going to get them onto a different barge up a different river up to St. Mary's where you're going to actually get it and then have to fix it. And so, <laughs> you know, a month of this planning and finally at the end of it, boom, it all got up there. And it was pretty uh, special because you, you spend so much time thinking about every detail and trying to figure out what you hadn't thought of. What plug did you forget to order? What component of a bobcat is going to break down in a month that we're going to need in a month, but we don't know it's going to break down then. 
And uh, when it all came together, that was that was a really good feeling. It took a bit longer to assemble everything, but we Googled our way through building a million-dollar facility. We got power run through the city in three phase with very little electrical support. We got uh, refrigeration containers hooked up and a, a site leveled using heavy equipment with I mean, just a, that 21-year-old kid. <laughs> <laughs> so you... And- the equipment was supposed to be there when you got there, right? It was supposed to be there when we got there. So this is a month of just the logistical nightmares. Yeah. And, you know, I'm making the nightmare, but there was also little heavenly moments, too. When Absolutely. In the big the, wins. In that area, the sun just about never sets. So we would get off work and go out into the tundra in the middle of the, you know, midnight sun. And I'd never been anywhere so remote. Flying into St. Mary's. I've never been on a flight where I haven't even seen a road for an hour on a flight. Like, no car, no house, no nothing, not a single person on a flight as you're looking down into this empty frontier. And so getting out there and just knowing that any direction I walk away from the village, there's going to be nothing. There's going to be nobody out there. And then there's a hilarious moment where you do hike out into the middle of the tundra and you find a large black trash bag with the apparent remains of a dead body in it. But upon further examination, it's a bear that someone put in a trash bag after hunting it and tearing it open and seeing a bear, rotten bear (laughs) mouth coming at you. It's unbelievable little moments trash bear. Trash bear. My favorite memory of that time was a day where we got the whole day off and we drove our broken down van up to um, this spot along the Yukon River Delta where there was this super soft silt and the river had just dropped. And so it was like this huge amount of wet, silky soft silt. And so you could run as fast as you could and then dive onto your stomach and just slide for a hundred feet across. It was the best slip and slide in the world. And as we're doing this, just slipping around, sliding around, this boat pulls up with a fisherman on it. And this guy is clearly very drunk and starts kind of yelling over at us, you know, calling us gussucks and saying like, ah, oh, you're either, you're out here, you know, you're a bear or you're attracting bears. Like, God. <laughs> and we assumed that he meant us no harm. And then uh, a few minutes later, we're sliding around and you start hearing gunshots, which was kind of normal. You kind of hear gunshots out here in Alaska every once in a while and it's like no big deal. It's like, oh, there's a little pling, pling, pling off in the distance. So we didn't even notice it, didn't pay any mind. And then much louder, boom, boom, boom. And this guy was walking over toward us with a shotgun, just shooting it off. And so... In the air or... In the air, in the air at this point. At this point, okay, (laughs) foreshadowing. (laughs) And uh, as he starts getting closer, he just yells at us that it's time to go. I mean, I've come from a pretty liberal place. I mean, San Diego, no one starts shooting guns and telling you to leave an empty riverbed in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, so we absolutely start packing up, douse our little bonfire and start running and putting on our clothes. And as we get in our clothes, he jumps in his boat. That's probably about 
300 feet away and starts driving his riverboat over to us. And so we run and jump into some brush and start like bear crawling down low. And then he starts shooting into the forest above us or at us. You can't really tell. We were down low. We weren't going to be looking to see where he was pointing the guns. Right. But he starts shooting into the, into the brush. And you can just hear that, you know, the brush move around, the, the, the sounds of the shots at you as opposed to up. It's a different little crack to it. Right. <laughs> and my friend had a fishing pole that he had stuffed in his backpack that was sticking up as we we're crawling along. <laughs> and it snapped off into a tree. And uh, as he kept on going, he wanted to turn back and go get that other piece of his fishing pole. And we were just like, hell no, we got to get it's out go- of It's here. gone. That's gone. It's not worth your life, man. Turns out, you know, we get out of there, make our way out of the tundra, and uh, talk to the city manager about it. And he apologizes. He says, oh, I'm so sorry, man. That, that guy's known to be kind of crazy and violent. Like, uh, you know, he, his son committed suicide a few years back, or allegedly, and, and then his wife allegedly committed suicide soon after by getting shot. So... That's yeah. a good thing you didn't good allegedly you didn't have allegedly a triple have some suicide. suicide. Well, it's just like, wow, this is a totally different place. Like, <laughs> this is uh, not a comfortable adventure, but definitely something different. Definitely something uh, new to me. So, you know, working out in the in the Yukon was really rewarding. And you got it done. You oh, got the we whole got system made in two months. The fish landing done. We unloaded a couple million pounds of chum, and air shipped it off into the lower 48 branded with the fish people seafood logo on it <laughs> oh, i love it walmart. when a plan comes together <laughs> sold at walmart <laughs> sold at walmart nice so after that job every other job is boring normal right after that job what'd you do I, next i really <laughs> Take After three that, months off. I took, you know what? I, I went back to my home in Catalina for a season, my base. And then Carl and I took the money we made from that job, and we flew to Sulawesi. <laughs> <laughs> and we brought the another friend with us. The seats got filled. This, we filled the seats. We went to Sulawesi, and we had an amazing time there. And we could live that travel lifestyle a lot more comfortably with the money that we had saved from that that other experience and it just felt like we had been given it for free that we had two adventures and one of them was just absolutely free along with it okay so <laughs> what hap- what happens next how do you how do you get to here you went to Cat- you went back to Catalina and then was that two seasons ago was that last winter <laughs> that was uh so at the end of that that winter after I went to Sulawesi I did go back to Catalina and that brought me up to the summertime. So what I really realized was that I loved being in Alaska. I loved being in this place where you have such access to the majesty of the outdoors. And, and shotguns. And shotguns, but hopefully not pointed at you. And that part of it is just amazing. And the other part of it, working in the fishing industry covered in fish blood and mud and working 18 hours a day and then 
having six hours off or even working 12 hours and then six hours off and then 12 hours on and six hours off and 12 hours on and six hours off for 20 days in a row. It's brutal on you. It's brutal on your mind. And that's like a growth opportunity, but there's more enjoyable ways to, to spend your life as well than, than working that hard. And so I love guiding. I love teaching and sharing. And so I really wanted to make those two worlds meet. And I feel like Ketchikan is a great place to make those worlds meet, where you can have that access to the outdoors, where you can be really remote in a short amount of time, but there's opportunities here and there's work here where you can share that with other people who want that experience too, where you can get paid to do that. And that's something that's really special. That's what really drew me toward Ketchikan, that and all the amazing people here. Right. And so it's, has it lived up to its expectations? Absolutely. And then some, and then some, I have lived in many different places. I've, I've worked seasonally for a few years now where my summer is always in a different spot. And this is the first time in five years where I am going to be leaving a big part of my heart here in a new place. Ketchikan, I mean, is amazing. Catalina has always been my home for the last six years. That's where my heart's been. And it's a really sweet and grating feeling to leave a big part of my heart here now, too. Because you know, it's like your heart's breaking, but in a really sweet way. It feels good to feel so strongly about a place. It's going to be hard to leave. I've heard you, this is your first season up here, and it's awesome to see new seasonals come up and it it gives me it makes me look at it with fresh eyes because I see you being as excited as I was my first time or more so about all this awesome stuff so I'm like yeah that really is awesome and I've heard you at least three times say oh that was my favorite day of the summer about different days and I'm like yes he's getting it that's absolutely how I hope everyone feels up here. Mm-hmm. And so um, it was awesome to see you get the full catch can experience and then some. And then some. I mean, long nights on beaches with bonfires and tide pooling, hiking peaks where you're in a bubble of cloud, spending every day underwater and getting to know a landscape in a really intimate way. Because you were a snorkel guide, right? I was a snorkel guide this summer. I had the pleasure of being a snorkel guide this summer. Tell me how that goes. Being a snorkel guide is is really an awesome opportunity. The people that you get off the ships to go snorkeling with you are probably the coolest people on that boat. They are the ones who not who don't only just want to ride out on the ocean, they want to see what they're actually going over. They want to stick their face in the water. And that is a little uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to put on a wetsuit. It's uncomfortable to jump in cold water. It's freezing out it's, there. It's fucking cold. I've gone. It's so cold. <laughs> but it's it's pushing your comfort zone and stepping outside of that. And it's it's taking that chance that makes it so rewarding. That Even on a day where it's murky and you can't see a whole lot, but when you dive down 
and you just start dropping and you feel the pressure on your ears and you're equalizing on the way down and, and it gets dark. And then as you get past this murky layer, it just opens up and it becomes clear and you can see for 40, 50 feet. There's this silence down there that is addicting. There's, there's nothing but you down there and you can think or you can really not think and just poke around and explore. And it's a place that not many people get to explore. Uh, so being a snorkel guide has been a wonderful experience out here. And I would, I would recommend it. How, so you make 10 grand in two months doing the, the St. Mary's fish thing. How, how do you do in Catalina and how do you do as a snorkel guide here? Catalina has been very generous to me. Uh, it's something that's very steady. It's something that you can go back to and make that into your home base and then launch out from there into all of these different opportunities. Um, being a snorkel guide out here has, has been steady and it's been, it's been enough where I can have a good time. I can, I can take care of myself financially. I can afford to be here. Uh, and then going back to Catalina in the off seasons where it's a little harder to find work in other places and where it's somewhere where I love with two thirds of my heart. And as I'm leaving one third here in Catalina, because <laughs> <laughs> it's beautiful. Catalina Island is, you know, when I visited, I was blown away at that. And you, your food's taken care of, your housing's taken care of. It's, it's kind of a, its own little ecosystem. It's a special place, and it there's the perks of the food taken care of for you. You're not washing dishes. You're, you're definitely in this bubble where a lot of your needs are just being met without you putting in much effort. But what really makes it special is the people that you get to interact there with. There is just such a special group of people that end up on that island from all diverse, different backgrounds. And when you get to spend a weekend together doing doing things like jumping in the ocean at night and howling at each other from across a watershed as you're just trekking along and you are in this tribe that is as good as any family. That's what's addicting about it. It's those people out there. And that's what you're going back to after you leave here. Yeah, I've got my tribe going back to them. Do you think... You're going to come back to Ketchikan next summer? I already know I'm coming back to Ketchikan next summer. Okay. That's so you, you're taking up the mantle as another Ketchikan, Catalina, back and forth seasonal. I am proud to join the ranks of the, uh, <laughs> the few, but the, the wonderful who moonlight at Ketchikan or moonlight at Catalina, whichever you prefer. Splitting my world between those two places is a good life. It's, it's a good life here. It's a good life there. I don't have to worry when I'm falling asleep and looking at the ceiling. I don't get that feeling anymore of, oh, I might be wasting my time or I'm not doing enough. I sleep so easily right now. There's, I don't have many worries. I don't have any nagging emotions. It's, it's a solid, wonderful place. It feels right. It feels very right. So if you've got yourself into this lifestyle, you love it. We love you. There are people out there um, that haven't found seasonal life yet, that 
don't know it exists or have maybe heard about it a little bit. And if they do hear about it, they're not sure what to think. It seems like a leap of faith. They've been safe about things all their life. What would you tell them if they came to you asking about it um, to kind of ease their mind or maybe, you know, help give them some more information to help them make that choice if it's the right decision for them? Every day when my mom would drop me off at school as a young kid, uh, I'm walking out the car door towards the schoolyard. She would always yell out the window, do great things. And I would always, you know, shrug it and say, ah, oh, mom, like walk into school. You're making me embarrassed. But sometimes I think back on that. And that is such a uh, guiding light for me that I always hear that voice, do great things. And it's a very vague statement, but you can feel it in your heart, this fulfillment when you are doing something that makes you feel like you're doing a great thing. And in Ketchikan, I feel like I've been doing great things. And in Catalina, I feel like I've been doing great things. And so if you, if you aren't feeling fulfilled, if you aren't feeling like you're doing great things, then make that change. It's not, an, it's not easy. It's not just, oh, it's just going to happen perfectly. It might not happen the first time when you move to a new place. It might not even happen the second time if you move to a new place and try something new. But by flexing that muscle... Not everybody gets to work for fish people their first time. Not everyone gets to work for fish people their first time or work for Catalina Island Camps their first time. Or, I, there's, there, you're going to go through your different, your different journeys on your way towards something that's going to make you fulfilled. But if you're not feeling fulfilled, try it once. Just try it once. You were saying... But if you're not flexing that muscle, and I interrupted you. If you're not flexing that muscle of, of trying something new, then you're stagnating. Then, then you're not moving forward. Then you're not strengthening who you are. And in this, in this wonderful time that we have in our 20s and 30s, this is the time to take those risks. So to sum it up, if you're not feeling fulfilled right now in your life, Try a year where you're just living somewhere new. Try a year where you're working somewhere new. And when you are there, put yourself out there completely. Introduce yourself all the time. Buy other people drinks. Start conversations with weird questions. And give weird answers to their questions. That's the best advice I have. You, I heard you ask somebody if they've ever been arrested the other day. And then as we were walking over here, you asked me, and you didn't know it, but it's one of my favorite stories to tell. <laughs> the short version is, no, I've never been arrested. I have been detained for questioning with cuffs <laughs> on in the back of, the, of a car, a cop car, and it was my mom's fault. That's the story. <laughs> <laughs> and you, because you asked that weird question, uh, you got the, the story. I love to tell it. And I'm guessing from your responses, you enjoyed hearing it. I enjoyed it very much. I hope that you. Uh, I hope that you'll let me interview you sometime and oh, record that story. That'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's. Those are great words to tell a new seasonal, and I know that you have to get on a flight and leave soon. 
in hours. We're, yeah, we're in the last hours of your Ketchikan experience. So I want to tell you, every year there is something called the Louis Leva Award given to the best new seasonal from a committee of two or three people, but agreed upon among, amongst everyone. And Louis Leva won it first. Uh, Shelly won it last year, and you won it this year. Wow. I am very touched, very honored. <laughs> can, we get, can we get a little speech? If it's too long, I will play music to play you off. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's really touching, man. I I don't know what to say. It's it's a very kind thing. I feel like I've met so many wonderful people here and I've lived with so many wonderful people that it, it, I, I don't want to I don't know. I, I feel like I, I don't deserve it. I've met so many cool people here. <laughs> well, sometimes, you know, you got to just take things you don't deserve and Accept it. (laughs) I do all the time. (laughs) But it's been great talking to you. It's been phenomenal being on the same island with you. And I'm excited to do it again next summer. Thanks for talking to me, bud. I'm so looking forward to being back here next summer. Thank you, Joey. That's it. That's the episode. The seasonals are Kelly Mogg, Ryan Deininger, me, Joey Ravinsky. The theme song by Ryan Deininger, Joe Williams, Louis Leva, Chappie, Thomas Hamilton. Follow us on Instagram at the seasonals underscore. Like us on Facebook. Listen to our next episode. That's it. We're out.